listening to 90% Mental, Conversations with Grant Parr, Episode 117. Mental performance coach Grant Parr sits down with sports psychologist and author Dr. Rob Bell to discuss his journey as a mental performance coach and how he coaches athletes to get prepared for critical hinge moments. Dr. Bell shares his story that motivated him to write his new book, Puke and Rally, and how not to get stuck in your setback, but to rally for a comeback. Tune into these two mental performance coaches where they preach the mental gospel. What would more wins, higher productivity, or quicker recovery mean for you? NeuroPeak Pro optimizes human performance by working to promote balance within the autonomic nervous system. Used by the world's elite athletes, this training program is now available to you at home. Cutting-edge neuroscience and technology allows you to strengthen your brain remotely, anytime, anywhere. Schedule your evaluation and get started with your brain training today. Visit NeuroPeak Pro and receive a 10% discount by using the promo code GRANTPAR. If you're interested in a full-body resistance training system to achieve your athletic and fitness goals, The Mass Suit from Juke Performance is your answer. The Mass Suit is a full body resistance training suit that you wear during your exercising or sport-specific training to enhance your speed, strength, power, agility, and endurance. You are fully mobile, and it's great for plyometric and high-intensity training. It engages all muscle groups simultaneously and increases to a 50% caloric burn. Check out the Mass Suit at jukeperformance.com and other fitness-related products and make sure to use the promo code GRANTPAR, one word, G-R-A-N-T-P-A-R-R, for your 10% discount. Hey, Dr. Rob Bell, how are you? Good, Grant. Thanks for having me on, buddy. How are you, man? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm really excited to have you on my show, not only to to talk shop, um, but just to learn your your journey as an athlete, uh, you've done some really incredible things throughout your athletic uh, career, but and how it's actually gotten you to this point to be a mental performance coach. So I'm just really excited to talk about your journey and talk about your thoughts within the field of sports psychology. Yeah, let's do it, man. I got some thoughts for sure. All right, all right. Well, <laughs> all right. Well, let's let's talk about our favorite topic: mental toughness. And I know that on your mm-hmm. podcast, you, you know, you open up with your podcast as well with with mental toughness questions. So I'm going to throw it back at you. What does mentally tough mean to you? Yeah, it's a great one, man, because I think there's there's probably so many different definitions that I think if we focus on each one, we'd get confused. I mean, I'm a, I'm a jeans and T-shirt kind of guy, Grant. I, I try to keep this as simple as we can. And mental toughness, all it is, it's how we deal, handle, and cope with the adversity in life. That's it. The other part about mental toughness is how – we perform under pressure. So I was always a big Jim Lair fan in 1986. That's how he kind of defined that one. I always, I, I keep that one pretty close to the vest, man. So I think that's it. It's just how we deal with adversity and how we perform well under pressure. And, and both those, what I think is important is it's not a matter of if we're going to face either of those. It's just a matter of when. And, you know, I like to say mental toughness is caught more than it's taught. I think we're just going to be put in those kind of situations where we definitely learn from them. We, we, we fail and then we, we come back from it. And it's only when, you know, the muscle recovers is when it really grows. And that's the way I think our mind works the, the same exact way, man. 
Absolutely. And you know, it's so funny, and you probably have experienced this on your podcast, but, you know, words like mental toughness, grit, joy, love, I mean, we all know what that means, but we all have a different internal representation, a different meaning of it. And I've had, you know, over a hundred episodes of this show, and I would say almost every single person has a different answer. Some of them are a little more fancier mm-hmm. and a little more creative, but I, I like yours because it's it's just straightforward. Mine too. Mine's just conquering the emotional hurricane. I mean, we have emotions mm-hmm. and thoughts, and we, we try to control them and align them. And like you said, man, we're, we're going to be faced with adversity. Um, shit, we don't even know when it's going to be, when we're going to face it. But when we are faced with it, are we mentally tough and prepared for that moment? So I love it that you're a, a jeans and t-shirt type of guy. And it's just, it's, because I think mental toughness needs to be straightforward. It doesn't need to be convoluted with all these different fancy terms and, and definitions, if you will. No, I don't, I don't think so at all, man. But, you know, you got the academic side of the field that wants to, well, they need to contribute their part, you know. I mean, you need to contribute to the chili by adding more and more ingredients. Well, I think the mental game is more about taking stuff away than it is adding it. And and I think like that's where you and I are similar, man, because it's you know, every one of my interviews that I have with, with athletes or performers and, and gonna have you on there as well, but adversity is the common theme amongst every definition, you know. So it's like, you know, it's that hot water. We don't know how strong we are until we're putting that hot water, like a tea bag. But <laughs> But that's, that's what's similar, man, is the adversity. So, I, I mean, if, whenever I'm speaking to a group, I'll ask them, raise your hand if you really want to have a difficult week this week. And not many people raise their hand. Like, I don't want this week to be difficult. I want it to go nice and, and planned and according to how I have it. And, yeah, there's going to be some ups and downs, but I want it to be all in stride. Well, that's not how we get better. Right. But that's what our mind wants to convince us of is that, well, being safe is, is how we get better. And that's, that's just not the reality, man. Absolutely. I love that. Actually, I might use that. <laughs> Do it, man. You can borrow it. I love it. I love it. Well, that, that's the thing I love about, um, you know, being in this field and, and and connecting with people like yourself that we can learn from each other. Not, I mean, I learn from my clients all the time, but uh, there is mm-hmm. definitely a joy that I get speaking with people like yourself. And um, I think that's what we're, you know, we're here on this earth to, to solve problems, but we're here to, to serve and we're here to, to share our energy, give and receive. And, and I think with that, you know, I hope that I can give you some stuff, you know, later today that you can take away. So um, that's... Uh, Absolutely, man. Yeah. And I, I always say this, man, I, I'll say, uh, you know, you can give me credit, but you don't have to give me any of the royalties. So you keep all the royalties, man. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> so let's let's talk about... Your, this interesting story that you have. I, I read a little bit on your website about how this story has kind of led you into the field of sports psychology and, and led you to be a mental performance coach. Sure, man. I appreciate that. I mean, I was, uh, it's a story I share often, but I mean, I was a multi-sport athlete growing up my entire life, and that's really all I knew. And uh, I went to school to uh, to play baseball and a little Division two school in West Virginia. And uh you know, just a walk on at this time, but, uh, but a talk with the coach and, and, you know, I discovered this thing though in high school, my senior year in particular, and it was called partying. <laughs> and I, I'm serious. If it was a class, I would have got an A plus in this. I mean, I excelled at this. And when I got to college, um, I had partying and baseball, like what could possibly go wrong? And any kind of group I'm speaking to, man, especially with student athletes, I will tell them, like, look, nothing good happens after midnight. You have to trust in that one. 
And this is obviously after midnight. For some reason, we're partying near this bridge. And in West Virginia, there's a lot of bridges, a lot of cliffs. And this bridge was this cliff. I ended up walking off an 80-foot cliff. Uh, I, I didn't jump. I, I wasn't pushed. I just had absolutely no idea where I was. And I remember hitting once and laying at the bottom of this crevasse. I was conscious during the whole time. And I had, you know, broken my arms, really injured my back. Um, you know, to find out that was fractured, had a, a gaping head wound. They had to crane me up out of it, take me to the hospital. My mom is a nurse. All right. Get this, man. She's the oldest of eight Catholic family. No sympathy on me whatsoever. Like, I want to come home. This happens on a Friday. I want to come home, man. Like, you know, on that Sunday. And I'm just, I'm just thankful to be alive, man. You know, but I'm in a lot of pain, a lot of meds now. I just want to come home. She sends me right back to school. I'm back to school Monday. You know, she knew where my path was said, man. I couldn't, I couldn't get away from it. So I'm back to school on Monday, limping to coach's office. So coach, you know, I'm so sorry, man, about what happened. He said, Rob, you don't understand, but God was looking out for you. I said, I know, coach. I appreciate that, man. He said, no, you know, you don't understand. Like God was looking out for you. Like there's definitely a plan, but you're not going to be playing baseball here. So boom, hinge moment. And I talk about these hinge moments because like every door has a hinge. Door without a hinge is a wall just doesn't work we just don't know when these moments are coming they're gonna they're gonna happen in our life and tragedies that happen are immediate hinges because from that moment on everything is different and i had no idea what i was going to do i I thought my 84 85 mile hour fastball was what was going to get me to the next level was going to get me to the majors (laughs) my myopic viewpoint at the time but if it wasn't for that fall i wouldn't have taken that psychology class when i took that first psychology class uh, it was one of those dynamic individuals that changed my life. And it was, uh, it was by taking that class that I knew it was like, a, uh, it was an imprint on my soul that I wanted to work with athletes and teams on the psychology of their sport, because I was a, I was an athlete that just thought too much, man. I was like Sheldon from big bang theory, right? I was well prepared, man, but I couldn't shut off the mind. Couldn't shut off the mind. And I knew, like, taking that class, that that's exactly what I was going to do. And, and then there were some other stories that kind of went along with it, and I started following Dan O'Brien's career at that time, who had, um, at the Olympic trials, he no-heighted in the pole vault and comes back and wins the gold medal four years later. But I started following his career, and he started seeing a sports psychologist, a mental coach. That's what I want to do. And that's when I knew early on that's, that's exactly what I was going to do. And I always kept that, that vision in mind and never, ever strayed from that, even though there were a lot of detours, a lot of hilly uh, roads, a lot of moats to go through. But it always kept that in mind about what it was I wanted to do. Wow. Yeah, it brings me back to the moment where I, where I made that decision to become a, a mental performance coach and go back to school and, and, you know, and get my education. But, you know, when I play, I played football for a long time and – I had a pretty good mental game, but man, I needed somebody. I, after I knew, like after I got into this profession, I was like, man, I wonder what I would have done differently. I know what I would have done differently, but if I had somebody with me, um, you know, helping me along with my journey from from a mental perspective, and 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 well, I also no question, man. Yeah, no question, right? And and I remember the the moment I was in between sales calls when I was you know working my quote unquote you know corporate job, and I was sitting there listening to Desmond Howard. And he was talking about a sports mm-hmm. psychologist, and I'm like, "What? Like, what is that?" And it was just like, like I'm like, "Wow, that that's actually really cool." Like, I I started seeing myself like maybe I could do this. And I remember went home that night, did all this research, realized that there's there is a 
there is a profession of sports psychology, and I within two months, man, I was enrolled, and uh, I started my journey just because I, I heard that. And there was other dynamics and other situations that were happening in my life that made me make that move. Um, it's beautiful, man. It only, only takes one, one moment, one event to turn our entire life around, man. Yeah, and what I love about your hinge, like these hinge moments, I mean, man, like, there's mm-hmm. so many of them that only have, have I've gone through and I've, I've witnessed the athletes and the teams that I've worked with and the coaches. But recently, I've, there was something I was dealing with and I was working with my, my mentor, or one of my mentors. And it was so funny how I brought it up to him. I'm like, because this, this is something that's been dealing, I've been dealing with for like the last year and a half. And I'm like, um, man, this is such a barrier. And he's all, no, it's not, man. It's just another door to open. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, that's a hinge moment. Like, considering how, like, monumental this thing has been, I've been dealing with for the last year and a half. So it just kind of, it, it kind of gave me more clarity when you started talking about, like, what a hinge moment is and what your hinge moment was. And I can only imagine, like, how cool is it, though, you get to help athletes with these type of hinge moments? Yeah, it is, man. I mean, you know, that's that's the thing. If we hear about doors opening and closing in life, it's because of the hinge. Like, a, you know, mm-hmm. every door has a hinge. You know, the one thing I haven't figured out is a sliding door. <laughs> but I think I've got to work that one out, you know. There you go. So, but it, it just doesn't roll off as good, man. Almost every door has a hinge. Right. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, rust, rust, you know, if you hear of a rusty door, right, like we've all heard, it's not the door that's rusty, man. It's the hinge that gets rusty. Yeah. So small hinges are what open swing big, you know, small hinges open big doors. And, you know, I think that's a huge part of my philosophy, especially when it comes to coaching, man, is no matter how bad our situation is, no matter how bleak an outcome is, it only takes one, only takes one. That's what we're getting ready for. That's why we're preparing is because when our moment hits, it's too late to prepare. We've got to be ready. Yeah. But uh, that's, that's the key, man. That That's huge. And that's why, you know, again, I'm not here to plug my book, but that's why I wrote the next one up, Mindset, How to Prepare for the Unknown. What are you doing mm-hmm. to get ready for that moment when your number is called? Uh, you know, when you're the unexpected, you meet the unexpected or you meet adversity. Because I've, I've seen so many athletes that do the right things and they're prepared. I mean, they meet that opportunity with all their hard work, all their confidence, everything. And I've seen people actually that, that didn't do the right things. And when they had the opportunity, not only did they fail and fail the team and themselves, but it... it depending on what, what it was and who it was, it ruined their career. So I, I think it's huge that we're talking about getting ready for that moment. Uh, it's just huge. Yeah, and that's, and that's why you help out so many different individuals, Grant, is because, you know, the the process about what we how we approach it, man, is what's so important, you know? Yeah, big time. Big time. Well, I want to dive in a little bit um, more in your, your athletic career. I mean, you've done... Up until this point, you know, outside of baseball, you've done uh, Ironmans, you've, you're golfing, you're swimming, you're skiing, you're doing all sorts of stuff, which is awesome. Um, when you reflect on your athletic career, what do you think is like your biggest mental win and what was your biggest mental fail and how did you overcome it? Uh, well, you know, the negative outweighs the positive, right? So I can always think of the negatives a lot faster than I can the positives, man. Um, I, I mean, there have been a lot of them. I mean... You know, I'm I I do ultra marathons now. Um, Ironman's a big part of it. Um, you know, I've got a hundred miler this year, so I'll be doing a trail run. Um, I'd probably say the fifty mile trail run was probably the 
the most significant and that, that was because everything kind of came together and I trained properly for it and was just dialed in and the race went great and hit checked off all the goals and you know didn't walk once and it was just fantastic you know the the failure one was when uh when I probably did my first ultra which was a 50k um I can go into that store if you want yeah. it kind of led into the next book man the uh you know, we, we play like we train and, and this was a race that was going to be in the Hills. I mean, it was in the mountains. It was 5,500 feet of, um, elevation, you know, ascents and declines a lot. Well, I trained on flat ground the entire way, you know, and this was also a race that was in May and we missed spring that year. There was no spring. So it went from in the forties to 85 degrees the day of the race. And, you know, this was a, a 50 K so it was 32 to 34 miles. Wow. And in that race, man, I hit mile 20 and, uh, it was severe shutdown mode and severe shutdown mode at a rest stop where they have a buffet of anything that you want. Oh, so I needed man. something that was going to make me feel better. Right. I right. needed something that was going to help me because I mean, warning lights are going off and I'm shutting down, you know, and I've got 13 more miles to go. Well, that's something happened to be one of everything. You know, when it came to drinks, I mean, that Gatorade looks so good. And since it's green, why don't we just have some of that Mountain Dew as well? That Mountain Dew's got caffeine. Hey, how about some Coke? And then we got to wash that down with a little bit of water. Food, well, man, we got some potato chips. We got some trail mix that are going to be here. We've got some pickles. We got some of the M&Ms, peanut M&Ms, mind you. And boy, those Twizzlers look great, man. Let's have some of that. <laughs> and so it was a little bit of everything that I had because that's what was going to help me get to mile 24, which is the next rest stop. Well, let's just say when I made it to mile 24, um, right before I got up to the top of that hill, whenever I'm speaking, I go a little bit more in depth of this. I'm going to save a little bit of it. But, uh, you know, I, I needed to puke. And before I got up to that mile 24 at the bottom of the hill, man, I puked and it all came up. And it all came up projectile where the, the Twizzlers donned everything a nice color, man, nice color red. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know that more would come out than ever went in. But when I threw up, I got up to the rest stop and now I'm, I know I learned my lesson. So I just started to have a little bit of Gatorade, but that started to come up. And now I'm in, uh, I'm in real big trouble because it's 85 degrees. I've got the chills. My lips are blue. My eyes are sunken in. I'm throwing up, and um, and I'm wondering how I'm going to possibly like finish this race. And as I'm thinking that, then the skies open up, and it starts to dump, complete dump. Now, I saw my family at that mile, right? I mean, when it opened up, where it was like in 30 seconds, you're completely soaked. So we all kind of ran to the car. I'm opening up the car door, and when I open up the car door, I puke again, look back. My kids, you know nine and seven at the time then are crying because they have no idea what's the matter with daddy or what's possibly happening. Right. They've wow. never seen this stuff. Yeah. And, and my wife then comes in the door and she shuts the door. She says, I told him you were dropping out. I didn't have any, I couldn't argue. I couldn't do anything, man. So we drive 15 minutes to Airbnb that we're staying. I take a warm shower. Now I have the dry heaves and still have the chills. I end up passing out for like 40 minutes. They go out to have lunch. They come back from lunch and then they fall asleep and now I awake. And then what happens is now I'm stuck with the thoughts, man. The thoughts are, why you, know, you quit? How did you possibly quit? My son, being the innocent boy that he is, great boy, he asked, 
his mom on the way back to the Airbnb, you mean daddy had to quit? Like it just didn't resonate to him. He was asking innocently enough, but then all the bad thoughts are with me. What did you possibly do, man? Like, why did you quit? And as I started to think that, and then I started to kind of have some water and that stayed down. And then I had like a chicken finger and that stayed down. And what happened in my mind is that I thought, I said, we're going back. I wake up my wife, and my kids, and I tell them this. I, I look at them all and I say, look, we didn't come here to paint. We're going back to finish. And it went back to that spot where I dropped and told them I'm checking in. The only reason why the race was still going on is because there was a 50-mile run that was going on. So these crazies are doing this soccer twice, man. And um, yeah, I was one of the last people and checked in. I caught up with a 50-mile runner, and we ended up running the last eight and a half miles. Uh, really muddy, very, very tough, hottest part of the day in the afternoon. And it was probably about two hours after I had dropped. And I finished the race. Now, that was the biggest failure that ended up being the best lesson for me because it led to the next book, man, which is Puke and Rally. It's not about the setback. It's about the comeback. And it was so it was such a slow performance that I've got my own page. Like, I finished last in this race. I've got my own page, you know, where it goes from first all the way to the end. And when it goes to the end, man, I have my own page of myself. And I guarantee that's a record that is not going to be broken, but I finished, man. And that was when it came to like never giving up that it was like, yeah, we don't give up no matter how bad that situation is going to be, no matter how difficult it is. And I think once we take giving up out of the equation, when it no longer becomes an option, I think that's when we can really reach our full potential. So the, the worst moment ended up being the best, man. My, my mess ended up being my message. Wow, man. That that's beautiful. And, and literally when you started sharing that, you know, there's a part in that story where I, I started to, to get a little bit of goosebumps, like, because there's, there's so much in that story. And, and, and to me, like, I always look, you know, where there's a crisis, there's an opportunity. You just have to be willing to look at that crisis and get, and get excited for the opportunity. And I know as you were dry heaving and throwing up and then you were stuck with your thoughts, um, I call it, you know, when you're by yourself in the room and you're in your thoughts start, you know, your thoughts, you know, you, you become in the effect of your thoughts. It's like the devil's room is what I call it. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so, man, like, not only for yourself, you you, you made a, dis, a tough decision in that moment when you're feeling uncomfortable, but, man, that decision not only um, did something for you and your character, but for your kids. Like, they, they saw dad not give up. And, man, to yeah. me, that's winning. To me, that's success. Yeah, it's it's the philosophy that we always use in our home, you know, inside our four walls. And, uh and, you know, a lot of people will give me static for that one still, man. They're like, you know, even family members, like, well, you could have died. You know, it's a bad situation. And you know what? I think that's the price that you have to be willing to take, man. I don't have a death wish. I've got none of that. But i got to show my kids that, look, anything is possible in life. And athletics is how we can do these things. That's how I can do mine. I can't sing or dance, and I'm not that bright. But if we never give up, man, I really believe that, that we will be successful. I think the guarantee is, is that if we quit, then we won't be successful. But I always like this one. I spoke with Gil Reyes, and that's Andre Agassi's strength coach. And uh, he said a real righteous line, man, I live by. He said, look, man, some battles are worth fighting even if you lose. And I never forgot that one. I thought that was so cool, man. I was like, look, we're going we're gonna to take shots we're going to miss. We're going to get kicked in the teeth and fallen down and beaten up. We are. There's no way around it. The only way around it is don't, don't play, don't fight. And, well, what fun is that? 
but it's going to be worth it. Even if you lose, man, it'd be worth it. No matter the journey that you've got to be willing to take that shot. And a lot of people just don't want that shot, man. Well, I always want it. I'm not afraid to take that ball, even though, look, we might not be able to make it, but that's okay, man. I'm going to make some of them. Totally. Totally. And I think there's, you know, again, this is something that I've gotten from one of my mentors, but it's those moments where, you know, victory goes to the vulnerable, man. It, it, whether if you're going to win or lose, man, you show up in the moment. Um, whether if you're going to hurt yourself or not, man, you, you just, you know, there's so much victory that goes in that vulnerability. And, yeah, man, it's, uh, it, it's a beautiful, beautiful story. Um, yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah, man. It's just a, it's a, it's a great story. Um, now, when you went through this, this situation or this experience, were you already into your profession as a mental performance coach? Was that? Oh yeah, 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 absolutely, man. That was probably about, uh, you know, three years ago. Yeah, it was. It was three years ago. Wow. How important do you think it is being a mental performance coach? How important is it to stay competitive, like doing things that you're doing? Um, and, and the only reason why I ask this question, because I remember when I was going through my grad program, one of my professors was like, yeah, when you, when you get into your profession, you get into your work, you start doing your thing, like, I know you're gonna, you got all of you guys are going to be like knee deep, head down, doing your thing. But don't forget that you not, not only need to take care of yourself and self-care, but you need to stay competitive, whether if it's getting into a soccer program or rock climbing, something that is going to keep you competitive because if you want your athletes to be competitive, you've got to be doing the same thing. So is it, was it just innate for you to keep on doing, being an athlete, or was it something that you felt like compelling that since you're doing this work that you, you need to do something competitive? Well, I totally, I totally believe that. I believe that hundred percent, man. Um, you know, once you're an athlete, I mean, that's the beauty about sports, man, is, you know, once you're an athlete, you're an athlete. You always stay an athlete. Your office just changes. <laughs> and I think being able to compete, you know, I mean, I work with PJ Tour players. I've never shot a 66, but I've entered uh, golf tournaments and I've played in golf tournaments. And I know what it's like to, uh, I know what it's like to, chale, uh, to choke. I know what it's like to fail. Um, and it's no fun at all, but it helps me relate to the athletes a lot better, man. And the discipline of, you know, swimming or biking and things that comes with that, um, even though it's not at that level, um, it's at a decent enough level, man, where it's not, um, you know, it's, it's, I just love the fact of one athletics in general and two, just being in the mix. That's where I think, you know, when our soul is at its best, when we are at our best in life is we're competing as best we can. And we're helping others along that journey as well, man. Uh, uh, you know, even with those ultra marathons and Ironmans, it's a community that makes those races so great, man. I mean, you love on one another because people are trying to do things that they didn't think they could do. And people are trying to run a hundred miles, man. They've got one leg and what do we complain about? And you're just loving and cheering on people, man. And that's yeah. what I think. That's just the essence of life. Look, man, I'm all about celebrations and birthday parties and going to movies. I like relaxing as much as the next person, man. But well, the real fun with me, man, is, is being able to push yourself and challenge yourself and do things that you couldn't. I think that's when we really, that's when life becomes very pleasing and we get more joy out of it. Yeah. Um, you know, and is it a bit sick and obsessive? Yeah, man. But that's that's where that's where that edge lives. You yep. know, and I think you got to live on that edge of life, big time. 
And you know what? And I'm so happy that you brought something up because, man, I went through two decades after I left the game of football, the sport that I loved so much and I put so much time into. And I, I was so frustrated and pissed off about the game because I didn't have, I didn't have the choice. My body told me, you're done. And so I got really, uh, I didn't do the work emotionally, spiritually, uh, mentally. I, I mean, I literally pushed away that sport. Uh, all my accolades, all the experiences, man, people want to talk about you know, when I threw touchdowns and when I you know, broke records. And I'm like, I, I had removed myself from that identity and for a lot of reasons. And I couldn't tell people that I was an athlete. I'm like, I was an athlete. And it took me up until almost till I was 40. I'm 46 now. For the last six years, I have actually reignited myself, redesigned myself, and it feels so good to tell people that I'm an athlete. But I took almost cool. two decades off from that whole mindset, and I love it when you said that. Like, you're always an athlete. You know, you're just your office changes, your environment changes, and you know whether if you That's don't right. play something like an athletic sport, well, then you're a corporate athlete. Like, you know, we're all performers. So, I, I love yep. it that you brought that up because it's just, you know obviously it struck a chord in me. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. I'm glad, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, and that's that's where that's where I think, you know, our experience can help other people. You know what I mean? Your experience of being that quarterback, man, and and even that disconnect and that trouble, that's gonna be able to help somebody else out. And I think that's the essence of life, man, is to see how our experience can benefit others. If you don't share that story, then then nobody can relate to it. Yeah. Exactly. Big time. So so let's get into more of our job and what we deal with on a day-to-day basis. Uh, when you think about what you've done for all these years, being a mental performance coach, what, what do you think is the most challenging part of your job? That's a good one, man. Uh, I was going to say parents, man, but, you know, um, <laughs> it's, only, it's only a select, select number of right, them, man. Right, I mean, the most difficult, the most difficult part of our job um, – the most difficult part is it's it's the most difficult is also the most rewarding. It's trying to help somebody recognize their own blind spots and helping them get to where they want to go. If if somebody can't be honest with themselves, then there's only so much that we're going to be able to do. You know, and honesty is that key component. Can somebody be rigorously honest with themselves and their shortcomings, knowing that they need to improve this part if they want to get there. Um, the only thing, you know, I look at it as a very, very small role, but a crucial role just because it's small, man, doesn't mean it's not important. Right. And, but if they, but if they don't have that piece and they're not going to be able to reach that, that full potential, you know, it makes me think about it. Then having said that the most, the most difficult part is seeing an athlete that didn't hire me that then struggles or seeing a, a, an executive that didn't hire me that still's got the same problem six months later, man. You know, it's like, you know, there's only so much we can do. And that's where I think a lot of that is just on God's time and not mine. And it gets back to controlling what we can control, man. Um, but, but that's the part. And, and it, you know, I'd be naive to say, man, I can absolutely help everybody. I can't. Um, and I don't even mean people I work with. The majority I do. But there are a lot of factors that go into success, man. And that's why I say we've got to really focus on the significance piece and the journey that we're on 
um, rather than just the outcome, then I think we can make a, a, a lot bigger impact. Totally. Big time. You know, it's funny that, you know, when I think about the challenging part of, of our job, it's kind of changed over time uh, for me. Like there at first it was, it was just being alone. Like I'm, I'm all alone now. I mean, I used to work for billion dollar companies, um, and startups and, and then now I'm all alone, which is, it's great. Cause I'm doing something that I completely, I'm bought in. I love it. I mean, my frequency is just off the charts cause I'm doing what I love. But then there's moments where certain things that I've dealt with, whether if it's a conversation, I didn't get the you know the client or the opportunity, whatever it is, then this being alone started to become lonely. And then I started to mm-hmm. understand the two, for me at least. And then I started going, well, it's, it's okay to be alone. Like, you know, be your own party. Like, it's okay. And so I started to shift back away from being lonely into this being alone. And it was it was it became a safe place for me, and so then I, I I got the lesson and I got got to be good with it, but then like it's funny when I'm gonna talk about this because the most rewarding thing for me is is when an athlete is bought in, like when they're when they're asking questions and they're bringing things to me to work on, they're showing me their journals, they're I mean they're like they're they're dedicated to it. My soul sings. I mean, I'm like, yes, like I, because mm-hmm. I know what it's like to be bought in as an athlete. And so when I feel that, man, there's just this ultimate connection of energy that I love. Now, what I've learned over the years is when, when the athlete or athletes are not bought in, and so I've, I, I used to take that personal back in the day, and now I've like learned like, hey, I'm gonna stay in my lane. I'm gonna do great work. I'm gonna take care of my energy. I'm ready when you are. If you're not ready with me, that's cool. Maybe someone else can, you know, has better words or maybe get you in a different time of your life. Or maybe you don't even want this work. That's fine because there's, there's some people that just, this stuff doesn't resonate with. But I had to get over that. Um, there, was, there was a little bit of a evolution of, of dealing with my own feelings and making sure I didn't make it about me. Because um, I was. I was like, why are they disrespecting me, right? But then I had to get, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know what it's like to be 17 years old, you know, in 2020. So... So I, I had to kind of let go of that and just kind of just just stay confident and staying in my lane. Stay in your lane, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it simple, right? <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, I love this, man. I love talking about this. So, speaking with athletes and 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 working with with athletes, what do you think, like from your perspective, where do you see um, the struggle is with athletes? What what are you seeing? Like, what's a common thing that you're seeing? Uh, the common theme is is we always get back to confidence, man. It's just that at one way or another, it's that lack of belief and lack of that uh, that they're going to reach their goals. Um, that's where that's where the source is, and that's where I think that it manifests itself in a bunch of different ways. But if we can treat every athlete as what they really deal with is a lack of confidence, and I think it helps us with our coaching approach. Big time, yeah. I see that confidence and the fear of failure. I mean, that stuff comes up, mm-hmm. um, which you know. A lot of the stuff's you know interconnects. So yeah, let's let's talk about your books, man. Because man, you've written a lot of them uh, over the course of the years. You've written six books. Um, no one gets there alone. Don't shoot on your kids, which I love that. Uh, no fear. Mental toughness training for golf. Fifty ways to win pro football's hinge moments. The hinge. The importance of mental toughness. And then you're going to be releasing here, puke and rally. So. I don't know if this is fair to ask, but, you know, since you've gone on this journey as an author as well, 
Which book have you enjoyed the most writing? You know, that's difficult to say, man, because <laughs> uh, each each one's at a different time. Each one, um, each one brings its own experience. I mean, I I think each book gets a little bit better though, too, because the more and more that we do it, we expound upon itself. You know, so no one gets there alone. I mean, that was the fact of the you know, we can't help out anyone else without also helping out ourselves. You know, the hinges, you know, and, and that happens because of these hinge moments, which, you know, kind of explain, man, it's that one person, one moment, one event that's going to make all the difference in our lives. We just don't know when that's coming. You know, and the next one, puke and rally, man, it's not about the setback. It's about the comeback. If we can overcome the failure, and I hate that, it's feedback. It's not failure. No, it's failure, right? And it's okay. Call it what it is, man, because if it's not failure, then it doesn't hurt. And failure hurts painful when it's awful. It takes a piece of your soul out of you. But if we can overcome that, then we're going to be successful. And I really believe that, man. It's not about the setback. It's about the comeback. It's what happens after we puke that's important. Totally. Um, and that's the one that's the one's been most hopefully impactful, man. Now, don't show it on your kids. I'll have the most parents that reach out to that one thanking me for that one <laughs> just because – you know, it's, it's, it's just parents trying to help their kids the best that we know how, but we're hardest on those that we love the most. That part never makes sense. But, you know, it's so funny with, with your recent book coming out, it's, and I'm not going to get into the whole thing from my perspective, but when it comes to failure, uh, and, and letting go of the failure, I mean, that's hard. It's hard to do that in the moment. Um, cause you're, you're playing the yeah. game that you, you know, you're so passionate about, right. And so connected to the emotion of failing. I call it the emotional bag of shit. And, you know, and when you actually don't let go of that mistake in the middle of your, you know, in the midst of your performance, then that bag of shit gets bigger and bigger. And that just affects your body posture, your breath, obviously your thoughts. And it's something that's out of your control. It's in the past. And so it's just teaching these, these kids how to actually in the moment deal with the failure. Now, again, we're human, like be a, like, it's okay to be emotional, but giving them the tools so they can actually let go of that, that emotional bag of shit faster. Yeah, that's good, man. Yeah, so, um, so I'm gonna switch gears a little bit on your podcast. I, I I love your podcast, and now I know this is not fair to ask because I know if someone asked me this question, it'd be I'd have to answer this a few different ways. But you've in, you've been interviewed incredible people. So is there like your favorite podcast, your favorite guest or guests that that st- sticks out out of all the people you've had on your show? <laughs> that is a tough that is a tough question man it's like saying what's your favorite kid you know uh, <laughs> right. I mean it's, there's you know I mean some of men like Joe Scobbern has been a friend of mine he's Ricky Fowler's caddy you know just uh, um, having him be on the podcast was special because you know how long I've known him and, and his experience um, you know having uh, you know Greg Cinch I mean he, he had a stroke at the age of five and he finished an Ironman and we met each other during the Ironman so, I mean, that was a special moment that we all shared and, you know, him having a stroke, I mean, he was paralyzed on his left side and this guy's run, you know, finishing this Ironman. And, uh, uh, I mean, just so many different stories, man. I mean, I, um, Dan O'Brien who spoke about, you know, Olympic gold medalist. I mean, I had him on the podcast. He, we shared a hinge moment because that moment of him at Olympic trials led to me getting in the career. Um, you know, Brooks Williams, who, who she's the head coach at uh, Louisiana Monroe. I mean, just a fantastic basketball coach. She was told that she wasn't good enough. And why is it that 
that became an inspiration is because I think we have to be told we're not good enough in order to be successful. People talk about overcoming it. Um, and there's just so many different ones, man. I mean, you've got uh, Luke Tybersky who did the ultimate triathlon. I mean, he's just a great guy. I mean, Martin Rudy I've had in there. And then, you know, who I mentioned before, man, Gil Reyes. Gil Reyes was, was so fantastic because of just with the passion that he brings into, uh, uh, into being a coach, man. So uh, every one of them, uh, the best part I think is about doing this, man, is I go back and I listen to them all because when we're interviewing them, I don't know how much we can totally grasp, you know, but then when I listen to them, um, I, I learn from them. That's what I do with the most. Man. I learn from all these podcasts, these interviews that I do, man. Totally. Um, you know, Maggie, Maggie Guterall was another man. She was the first woman to win the, the toughest race in the world, man, Biggs Backyard Ultra. And and her toughness was, was so incredible, man. I mean, it's just, I mean, you think 100 miles is tough, man. She ran 240 miles, and there's only one finisher in this race. The finisher is the winner. And, uh, I mean, you talk about toughness, man. That That is the epitome, man. Wow. But so all of them, man, it's really tough for me to say, you know. No, I and I knew when I was cracking up that question, I'm like, I, I can only, if, if you asked me that question, it would be hard. Um, I'd probably have to, same thing, would rattle off maybe five, seven really cool podcasts. And I think, you know, with yeah. you and I, what's really cool is that we get the front seat. Like, we're, we're in a front seat experience to these to these stories. And obviously, you know, people are, are you know, interviewing these, these athletes as well. But for us, that's like, it, it's, it's weird when people are like, so, you know, what, what's your vision with your podcast? Are you making money? Are you monetizing it? And I said, you know what? It's, to me, it's not about that. It's about... If, if I'm going to monetize these these interviews, I emotionally monetize. I get, like, having the the offline conversations with Roger Craig and Drew Bledsoe, uh, AJ Andrews and Asia Evans, like, all these, like, and I list and goes on. To me, it's like, selfishly, I'm like, holy shit, like, I got a front row seat to this stuff. And this is just, and it's powerful. Yeah. And, I, and I take their stories and I use them within my work. So it's awesome. Absolutely, man. That's the best part. You know, they, they give us, I like what you said, man, front row seat to, to their experience, their life. Yeah. And, uh, and how it helps us, you know? Yeah. Totally. Totally. Now, uh, a couple more questions before we sign off here, but I want to bring up um, Kobe. And, you know, obviously when, when Kobe passed, because I, I just believe he's, when it comes to the mental game and and living it, living that work. He was one of them, and there's a lot of athletes out there, but he lived it. Um, when he passed, what did you feel? How did you, what was the moment like when you, when you realized when Kobe was no longer here? Well, I think the significance of it is I think we're all going to remember where we were when that happened, you know? And I remember um, it was right at the end of, uh, of a Maryland IU game. And, um, and then we heard it and it just didn't make sense. You know? Um, I mean, I always think back to hearing him on the Jim Rome show and Jim Rome would tell this story, how Kobe Bryant was in the off season downtown LA on a Friday night late. And he sees Kobe and invites him over to his table and they're hanging out and, and whatnot. And Kobe says, man, you know, good hanging out with you. I got to go. I got to go work out. And Jim said like, what, like, what do you mean? Like, you know, nine thirty, ten o'clock. He said, yeah, man, I didn't get to work out today. He said, it's off season. He said, I work out every single day. That's how I do it. And, um, you know, if people want to talk about clinical psychology, right. That would be obsessive. Yeah. 
And I think that's the way you have to be when it comes to being successful and especially getting to the next level like that. You have to be obsessive about your preparation. Um, it's got to be clinically. And that's the way and that's the impression that they always got, especially from, from Kobe. And that, that's just one story, man. We hear him all the time, you know, about how obsessive he was about his craft and about getting better. And, and that's why it transcended so much into off the sports as well. When he was done, you know, it didn't stop there. It just like started. That's what was so cool. Yeah. Is, is everything he's doing off the court was, was what was amazing. And I don't know if you've heard this story about Kobe, um, about actually how he somewhat, how he got into this work, but George Mumford, when he was working with, um, with the bulls and working with Michael Mm -hmm. George back in the day, you know, Michael was like, when he was going through all this mindfulness work, you know, he was, he had this conversation with George and basically it was like, Hey, are you working with any other teams within the NBA? And he's like, no. And he's like, good. Cause I don't want anybody to have the edge. Cause this, this, this stuff is making me a, a better basketball player. And so when Phil Jackson left the Bulls to go to the Lakers, uh, George obviously followed him and started working with the Lakers, started working with Kobe and Kobe was like, like, love this, this work, but he was telling George, like, hey, how do I actually be you when you're not here? How can you teach me to do all this work so I can actually, you know, walk my team through meditation and breathing exercises before practice, before games? And I use that, that story as a buy-in process when I'm working with athletes and teams because it's not just me and you, like, teaching the stuff or the coach pushing it, like, it, like the athletes can buy into this and then do this work without us. And, but I just like knowing that story and then reading his book and then obviously watching his, his career. Um, it just, to me, it's just a beautiful thing on how dedicated and committed he was to not only to the mental game, but to the physical game and, and just being the, his best version of himself. How cool is that, man? I didn't know that. That was awesome. Yeah. Thank you, man. Yeah. Hey, man. Well, <laughs> give and receive. I love it. <laughs> All right. One more question here. Um, when you reflect on your whole career, what do you think you've learned the most about yourself? That's a good question, man. It's a really good question. What I think I've learned most about myself is that I won't give up. Um, I think that's the that's the one truism that I absolutely know to be true, man, is that I won't quit. And that's through experience with athletes. That's through the experience of starting my own business. That's through the experience of, uh, you know, being racist and puke and rally is I won't quit. I know that to be a fact. I love it. I love it, man. How do my listeners connect with you, follow you on social media and also buy your books? Oh, thanks, man. You know, uh, social media, man, it's, uh, at Dr. Rob Bell, D R R O B B E L L. So at Dr. Rob Bell, Websites, drrobbell.com, man. And uh, look forward to having you on my podcast, man. 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness. So it will be uh, trading stories that way, man. So it would be great. But that's always the best way, man. Instagram and uh, Twitter and LinkedIn. It's good. Awesome. Awesome. Well, man, this is uh, – I, I, man, I could talk to you for hours. And, and thank oh, you. Oh, for sure. Yeah, man. Thanks for your energy and your thoughts and sharing your your stories, man. It's um, I love it. I, my frequency is high right now, and I know my listeners are going to love it too. So thanks again for being on my show. Awesome. Thanks, Grant. See you, buddy.